welcome to Little Bodies, Mighty Hormones, a podcast that delves deep into the world of pediatric weight management and hormone health. Join me, Dr. Rinku Mera, as I embark on a journey to unravel the mysteries of these tiny bodies with enormous potential. Here, I will guide you through the intricacies of nurturing healthy lifestyles, fostering hormonal balance, and empowering our youngest generation to thrive. So whether you're a concerned parent, a healthcare professional, or simply curious about the wonders of pediatric health, you're in for an enlightening ride. Stay tuned for expert insights, inspiring stories, and actionable advice to help our little ones reach their full potential. Let's embark on this empowering journey together. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Can you hear me okay? Just trying to find a yeah. quiet space. Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So I know we talked on Friday, but we're going to talk again today. And I'm really happy to have you as my guest today. So can you introduce yourself to my viewers today? And then we'll talk a little bit more. This is a preview for the Women's Health Virtual Summit that we're having this coming Sunday, where Dr. Rich and I will both be speaking. I'm going to have Dr. Rich introduce us to you. Thanks so much. And I'm so excited for the Women's Health Summit that we're doing this Sunday. We've got such a great group and I had such a great time talking with you on Friday. And I know that my my patients and my followers had a good time listening and hearing what you had to say and a lot of information there. I am Dr. Jessica Rich. I'm a minimally invasive gynecologist, which means that after the typical OBGYN training. I spent an additional two years training in minimally invasive gynecology. So learning techniques both in the office and with procedures, laparoscopic and robotic and hysteroscopic surgeries, basically things to help treat and evaluate different complex gynecologic conditions. So pelvic pain, abnormal bleeding, endometriosis, fibroids, things like that. That's what I do. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being here. So so as you know, I'm a pediatric endocrinologist and I deal a lot with women's health issues as well, my young patients. But I want to talk to you today about painful periods because that's a common question that I get as far as what are causes of painful periods. And I think before we even started that, I wanted to get a definition for you of what you know, you think is abnormal when people come to me with, you know, because there's a painful period. Because often they say, you know, I have pain in the you know, beginning of the cycle, end of the cycle, in the middle of the cycle. So so what is a painful period? What is what would you describe as being a, a painful period or something that's abnormal? James, this is such a good question because I think it's one of those things that depending on who your family is or where you're growing up or what the culture is. There's always this idea that women are supposed to suffer and teenage girls are supposed to suffer with their periods. The periods are painful and that's just the way it is and that's what we have to deal with. But that's really not the case for everyone. So there's no like specific definition of what pain is, but if it's painful to you, I would say then that's a problem. A little bit of mild cramping, something that you can kind of just get by or maybe occasionally every now and then you might take an ibuprofen or use a heating pad. That's pretty common and probably not that concerning. But again, you can still treat that if that's bothersome to you. But women and girls who are missing school or missing work from their periods, if you're going to the emergency room for your periods, if you're just taking, going through a whole bottle of Advil every time you have your period, that's really not normal. And that's something that should be evaluated and something that we can treat. Okay, great. And what are some causes 
a painful period. So our sort of medical jargon, technical term for painful periods is dysmenorrhea. And we look at what we call primary sources of dysmenorrhea and secondary sources. So primary dysmenorrhea really just means that the periods are painful just because they're painful. So the sort of normal, natural fluctuations in hormones that happen with the period. Typically, we're thinking of rise in progesterone in that time between ovulation and your period is just when most women start to feel the most pain. There's also an increase in prostaglandins during that time, which are inflammatory cells that kind of cause inflammation in the uterus and the surrounding tissues and a lot of cramping and a lot of that like bowel issues that some people face with their periods, whether it's constipation or diarrhea or gas. Those are kind of like the initial sources of what we call primary dysmenorrhea are basically painful periods that aren't coming from any other cause. And then we look at secondary dysmenorrhea, which means that your periods are painful, but something else is going on to make them painful. And this is typically where we look most commonly at things like endometriosis and fibroids are some of the more common causes, but also anything that can make the periods heavy, which can lead to more cramping and bleeding and kind of pushing that blood out. So going for a long stretch of time without your periods, having you know, bleeding disorders that can cause you to have more bleeding. Those things can all make the periods a little bit more painful too, but definitely endometriosis and fibroids are some of the more common ones. Okay. So to recap, so the primary cause of dysmenorrhea, usually menstrual periods are normal, but it's, and does the pain that usually occur at the same time of the cycle every month, if we have primary versus a secondary cause? Right. So both primary and secondary causes can cause similar types of pain. And usually we're looking at pain. Most often it's going to be like within that week leading up to the period. And then usually most people have it the most during the kind of first few days of the bleeding from the period itself. And it can continue after. Some people also get pain with ovulation and particularly those who have endometriosis or some of these other secondary causes. It may start with that, you know, pain that starts a couple of days before the period and then kind of gets better when you're on day three or four of your period. But then eventually with time, that can spread to basically the whole month, which then becomes an even bigger issue. Okay. Okay. And so what are some of the questions that you ask your patients kind of differentiate between those two? And then, you know, we'll talk about the treatment option that that you just Mm -hmm. So generally, I start just like you start. I start with a good detailed history. So if someone's coming in, I want to know, you know, when did they start having their periods? Were the periods always painful? What's the typical frequency of the cycles? You know, how much time is there from one period to the next? How long are the periods lasting? How heavy is the bleed? Is it irregular or unpredictable? And then when is the pain really occurring? And is this something that's kind of been stable over time. I have some of those who like, you know, they started their periods when they're 12 and they've just been terrible ever since, or they started okay and they're getting worse and worse. So we want to get a sense of like what things are like over time. Additionally, I will take detailed history of the other things in their medical history. So what other medical issues they have? Have they had any procedures done? What kind of stressors are in their life? What their diet and activity look like? So a very complex detailed history. And then, of course, my physical exam can sort of help to point out where there may be some sources of pain that we're looking for. I'm sorry, there's a lot of background noise here. That's okay, you're fine. You're fine, yeah. You can hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. So basically looking at, you know, are there other kind of sources and then looking at where the pain is coming from. So on my exam, am I localizing it? 
to the uterus or to the ovaries or to the muscles in the pelvic floor and back and abdomen surrounding that area. And then we get some imaging. Occasionally labs, but that's more helpful for the irregularity, not really as helpful for the painful periods. But the imaging, usually we're going to get a pelvic ultrasound, occasionally an MRI, but usually we start with an ultrasound. Sometimes that ultrasound is going to be normal. In fact, most of the time that ultrasound is going to be normal, but we're really doing the ultrasound to rule out some of those secondary things like fibroids and polyps and maybe endometriosis if it's in a certain location. But most of the time we actually don't see endometriosis on the imaging, so it doesn't quite rule that out. Okay. Okay. And so once you have like, the preliminary, you know, workup and finding. I mean, the thing that people really want to know, I mean, is how do I control this? What do I do? Because like you said, at least for my patients, they don't want to be missing school. They don't, you know, they're, and some of them are very anxious about the time that they get their period, whether mm-hmm. it's primary or secondary, you know, they're very anxious about it. And so what are, so, you know, I have another question here from one of our listeners too, but what are, you know, what are some common things they can do. Right. So definitely you want to have that initial workup, of course. And then see the differences between the primary and the secondary courses. A lot of the treatments are the same aside from the surgical treatments. So particularly with the secondary things like fibroids and endometriosis, there are a lot of great surgical options there to treat and also to kind of, you know, confirm the diagnosis of those. So typically a laparoscopic surgery to evaluate for endometriosis and to treat it if it's there. And if we do see things like fibroids or polyps, we can treat those surgically as well. How we do that really depends a little bit on their size and location. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's having pain needs to go for surgery right away because we can kind of presume, okay, maybe some of these secondary causes are underway, but whether it's primary or secondary, there are non-surgical ways that are pretty similar in how we treat both of those. And then I basically divide those sort of non-surgical options up into hormonal cycle regulation, pain medications. And then for people who don't like either of those options, there are some herbal supplements that I do recommend that I think are a little bit better studied than a lot of the things out there on the market. So start on the side of like herbal supplementation and dietary modifications. And this is where we're looking at things that you can do kind of naturally to regulate your cycle, to reduce your pain. So the herbal supplements that I like is called Elix. Basically, they use a traditional Chinese medicine and herbal approach. And I I like them because they're very transparent about what's in there. And they actually have some clinical trials showing improvements and cycle symptoms. You can intermingle that along with sort of different ways that you change your diet throughout different parts of the cycle, change your activity levels. So making sure that you're exercising throughout your cycle, but maybe doing a little bit of those milder exercises like yoga, walking, stretching on the times that are more challenging, like around ovulation and during your menstrual cycle and making sure you're getting a lot of magnesium in your foods and things that can help to decrease some of that cramping along the way with the diet. So there's a lot of great information out there about cycle syncing and things that you can do with diet and exercise to modify that. Then when we're looking in the more sort of pain medication management, we're looking more at like anti-inflammatories typically. So this is where you could start with something as simple as over-the-counter ibuprofen or Aleve. And for some people, that's going to be enough. But if you're starting to take a lot of that, like you're taking it every day of your period, three times a day, or taking more than is recommended to take at once, then you probably need to look at other options. And that's when we look at the hormonal cycle regulation. 
And this will typically start with something like a birth control pill or a patch or a ring, something that has estrogen and progesterone and kind of keeps you on a regular cycle if you want it. But what I love about those options is that you can actually skip some of your cycles and it's perfectly safe to do that. It doesn't add any extra risk for taking them without getting a period. And for those who have really bad periods, I think that's a great option. If you can get rid of those, you know, one or two days a month that you're staying in bed, all the better. And I know, of course, there are some out there who can't take the estrogen plus progesterone because of other medical conditions or maybe they don't tolerate it. And that's where a lot of progesterone-only options can be great, too. So things like IUDs or injections or progesterone-only pills can be safe and effective in that way, too. Okay, great, great. That's great information for our patient as well. And so, you know, the questions I'm getting here, you know, for fibroids and endometriosis, how early is that diagnosed? So, for example, you know, if I have a 15 or 15-year-old or even a 17-year-old, and she's having severe pain and we think it's, you know, secondary. And, you know, do we be worried about that? Is there often a family history of somebody else with fibroids or endometriosis that puts them at higher risk for having them? Yes. So definitely there is a family history a lot of times in this. To be honest, we don't really know where fibroids or endometriosis come from. So we don't know if there's actually genetic link, but it does tend to run in families. Fibroids in particular are very common. So, you know, up to 80% of women have fibroids, depending on what population you're looking in. I tend to see less of that in the 15, 16, 17 year old. That usually takes a little bit longer to develop. And having a small fibroid isn't something that necessarily needs to be treated. But endometriosis is a little bit different. Endometriosis, I do tend to see in a lot of teenagers. And I do sometimes take 15, 16, 17 year olds to the operating room for this, particularly those who, you know, like I said, maybe they got their period at 11 or 12 and it's just been excruciating since. Maybe they have a family member who has a history. They've usually tried some other options by now. They've tried different birth control. They've tried maybe even something a little bit stronger, like a GnRH agonist. And they're still really suffering and just not getting through. That's when we would look to treat the endometriosis and at least identify it and then treat it surgically at the same time. And I often do that in teenagers who are having continued pain despite some of these more conservative options. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, so, and if we take a step back, can you talk to our listeners about the difference really between the two, fibroids and endometriosis? Because I think there's some confusion about what, yes. what, what they mean. Yeah, so let's give some definitions here. And to be honest, you can have both. So I have a lot of patients who have both fibroids and endometriosis or both endometriosis and PCOS. So just having one diagnosis doesn't mean that you don't have more than one diagnosis. But basically what fibroids are is they're a growth in the muscle of the uterus. So the smooth muscle cells that make up the uterus, when one smooth muscle cell starts to grow abnormally, not in a cancerous way, but starts to grab, grow abnormally, then it makes like a little kind of like knot of muscle tissue. And that is something that we can see on ultrasound. And those fibroids can grow kind of on the inside of the uterus, pushing into the endometrial cavity, in which case we can treat them with a very simple procedure with no scars. Uh-huh. They can grow into the muscle and they can grow into the outside of the uterus. And really, depending on their size and location, they can cause different symptoms. Heavy bleeding, bleeding between periods, painful periods, pressure on the surrounding organs like the bladder and the bowels. This is where I don't tend to see it as much in the teenagers because even if they do have a fibroid at that point, it's usually 
quite small and maybe doesn't need to be treated until it's causing more symptoms. Endometriosis, on the other hand, that's when tissue that's like the glandular tissue that's on the inside of the uterus, when that grows in places that it's not supposed to. So typically other areas in the abdomen and pelvis, and it causes this inflammatory response and this painful response. And actually that can kind of grow in anywhere in the body, but most commonly in the pelvis. And that tends to cause a lot more pain. If it's into the muscle of the uterus, it can cause some heavy bleeding too, but we typically see more pain with that and also a lot of other sort of systemic symptoms. So fatigue, sometimes even joint pains around this time, bowel and bladder issues. So it's a little bit different. Okay. Okay. And you said 80% of women have fibroids. With endometriosis, the end estimates are 10%. But to be honest, I think that's a gross underestimate because unlike fibroids that we can see on ultrasound, we really don't know if somebody has endometriosis for sure until we do that laparoscopic surgery. So not everybody's going to get the surgery. In women and young girls, particularly people in their teens and 20s who have very severe painful periods, that percentage actually goes up to more like 80%. So very rarely am I taking somebody to the operating room when I suspect endometriosis and not finding it. That's literally happened to me once in the last seven years where I haven't found it when I've expected it. Okay. Okay. And usually you said endometriosis, there is more of like a family history of somebody having that. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fibroids too, but fibroids are really common. Everybody has fibroids in their family pretty much. Yeah. So when should... A pediatrician or, you know, pediatric endocrinologist refer patients to you or a gynecologist for concerns about, you know, painful periods. Like what's the mm-hmm. typical time frame? Because a lot of times the pediatricians, you know, myself, you know, manage that with my own daughter. But at what point do we say, hey, this is just something that, you know, we need to get looked at a little bit more closely? Yeah. So truthfully, no time is too soon. So definitely if you have a great doctor like you who is more comfortable with it and can manage it, they can definitely start with some of the initial management like birth control and other things to help to regulate the symptoms. But if those symptoms are persistent, if somebody's tried a few things and it's really just not working for them and they're having persistent pain, or if they're getting to the point where they want to get pregnant and that's not really working for them, That's another reason to have evaluation because it may be endometriosis that's causing difficulties with fertility as well. But I would say, you know, if you're, you've tried a few things, if you're not getting the relief that you need, if you're not getting the answers that you want from your pediatrician or from your primary doctor or from your routine OBGYN, then that's the time you would want to see a minimally invasive gynecologist who really specializes in this area so they can evaluate and talk with you a little bit more about treatment options. Okay. Okay. Great. That sounds great. So anything else that you want our listeners to know about you and what you do and how to find you? Yeah, so I'll tell you how to find me. But basically, the biggest thing I want you to know is that you do not have to keep suffering from this. It is not normal to be missing school, to be missing out on the fun things you want to do, to be missing work. So if you are continuing to suffer, if you've tried things and you've been told maybe birth control is the only answer or you know, more severe surgery, like a hysterectomy is the only answer. That's really not the case. So keep advocating for yourself. Look for a minimally invasive gynecologist. You can find them on aagl.org. For me, if you're looking for someone like me to see, I'm in the South Florida area. My office is the Florida Center for Urogynecology in Hollywood, Florida. So between Fort Lauderdale and Miami, you can always check out our website at floridaurogyne.com. 
And you can find me on social media, basically everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Enriched, just like it's on here today. Disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and information purposes only. The content is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based on information shared on this podcast. The host, guests, and creators of this podcast do not endorse or promote any specific treatment, product, or medical institution. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk.